welcome. The Division of Career Pathways launched the following podcast episode in order to educate and support UCI students and alumni with their professional endeavors. Visit our site at career.uci.edu for additional resources. Okay, good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. Uh, This is a kickoff event for Health Professions Week at UCI. My name is Carol Johansson. Uh, I am the Associate Director of Career Education with UCI's Division of Career Pathways. I'm also a proud UCI alumna, and we have a great session for you tonight. Um, We have three UCI students that are going to be sharing with you about their clinical experience. I'm going to take us through a couple of slides about our upcoming events, and I will be introducing our panelists. I do encourage you to check out all of our Health Professions Weeks events. Tomorrow we have Pathways to Nursing. If you're interested in gaining medical scribe experience or gaining research for health professional school, we're doing the same student panel tomorrow, but we're focusing on research as opposed to clinical. And we have programming all throughout the week. Do check our landing page out on the Division of Career Pathways website. We have all of the sessions that we're having. In addition, really excited because we have some health professions fairs coming up. For those of you that are thinking about health professional school, we have admissions representatives from all over the world representing a variety of health programs. Um, Test prep companies will be coming as well. That's going to be Thursday, April 8th from 11 to two. It's virtual, of course. So please mark your calendars. And then we have a fair focusing on the industry side of things. So on April 8th, it's health professional schools. If you're thinking about attending med, dent, farm, et cetera. And then on Thursday, the 15th, we have an industry fair. It is open not only to students interested in healthcare, but also non-healthcare majors as well. So if you have any friends that are interested in, in working in healthcare, but don't necessarily have that biocide background, they can attend as well because there will be some positions focusing on business admin, data analytics, and research. So those are two very important dates. Also wanted to mention, this is open to all class standings, our spring virtual fair, this is our general fair for all majors, is going to be Thursday, May the 6th from 10 to 3. So we hope to see you at all of our fairs. So without further ado, I wanted to introduce our distinguished panel of students. I've had the pleasure of working with each of these students, and this is a real treat for me to have this panel tonight. Uh, We have Tahira Alon. She is class of 21. Her major is biological sciences, and she has volunteer experience at the emergency department at Los Alamitos Medical Center. We also have Kania Damyar. Um, She is an alumna of UCI, recent alumna, graduated in 2020. Her major was also biological sciences, and she was involved in a number of programs, including the HOPE I'm sorry, the COPE Health Scholar Program at Hoke Hospital, and she did physician shadowing at the UCI Medical Center. We have Grace Huzar, class of 21, and Grace was actually one of our uh, peer advisors at the Division of Career Pathways, and she did a phenomenal job. Grace is actually a bio-sci major and a minor in poli-sci. She has shadowed a pediatrician, 
She has volunteered in the hospital and she's also done international work, a mobile clinic in Lima, Peru. So welcome to our panelists. And the first question I have for folks is, if you can just talk briefly about what were the main responsibilities of, of your clinical position. Tahira, could we start with you? Yes, um, hi everyone. So um, I volunteered at the emergency department at Los Alamitos Medical Center. So um, that was a hospital that was close to my home. So um, one of my responsibilities was to make sure that everything ran smoothly in the emergency department. So that meant um, a wide range of responsibilities. So um, ranging from patient comfort to um, making sure the nurses and the doctors were, um, were getting what they needed. So um, in, in terms of the patients, I would be responsible of getting them what they needed. For example, like it would be a simple thing as like getting them a glass of water or helping them go to the restroom uh, because um, emergency department has a wide variety of patients coming in. Um, in terms of getting help to the physicians, um, I would help them, um, I would get the samples that the patient had and give them to the lab if they asked me to, or um, I would even chaperone the physicians to um, a patient room because some of the patients would request that someone else come in um, with the physician or the nurse. So um, in terms, and another thing that I would do is make sure that the emergency department was really clean and organized because, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, patients coming in and there's a lot of traffic in the emergency department. So one of my responsibilities was to, um, every time a patient left, I would make sure that the rooms were clean and everything was stocked up so that when the next patient came in, um, the doctors and the nurses wouldn't have to do menial jobs like getting the blankets or getting the bandages because, you know, a patient was, um, there was a lot of blood coming out. So I would just do those tasks and make sure that everything was running smoothly in the ER. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Um, before we move on to the next panelist, I did want to mention that we are going to break around seven o'clock for Q&A. So as the panelists are talking, and if you have questions, jot them down or go ahead and put those in the Q&A because I'll be going through those Q&A right at seven o'clock. Um, Camille, could you please share about um, your main responsibilities? Uh, sure. Um, hi, everyone. Um, so I um, was part of the Cope Health Scholar Program. Um, this program is offered at like different sites and I was specifically at Hoke Hospital and I volunteered there for uh, almost two years. And I really liked this program and uh, as a health scholar, as a volunteer in that program, I had the opportunity to rotate at different departments. So uh, basically the way the program works is that every three months there is a rotation and you can change your department. Um, for example, I shifted the emergency department, telemetry, uh, gynecology, urology, um, labor and delivery, brain and spine unit. And then this is really good because you get a chance to interact with different patient populations and also doctors, you get a chance to, for example, labor and delivery, you get a chance to help with deliveries. At the emergency department, you get a chance to see code blues, a lot of different things. And as a volunteer, um, like Tahira mentioned, a lot of the, uh, the responsibilities overlap, but mainly um, you are responsible. I was responsible for like feeding patients, transferring patients, like discharging them. Uh, 
other responsibilities was like ambulating patients, um, helping the staff member, like bathing patients. And sometimes even like tasks such as like updating whiteboards, you know, it might be something really simple, but it was really helpful for the staff members. And it was also an opportunity for me to go to the patient's room, interact with them, talk to them. A lot of the times the patients were like lonely, they really wanted someone to talk to. And, you know, it was a chance for me to build relationships and um, develop my communication skills. So you get to interact with patients and then also at the same time, because I was volunteering at different departments, I get a chance to interact with um, different um, specialties, for example, emergency medicine doctors or like uh, OBGYNs at labor and delivery. And then um, I believe after almost like a year, I also um, joined the, the leadership team at the uh, Cope Health Scholar Program. So as a health scholar, you also have that opportunity to if you're interested to become more involved, you can join their leadership team. There are different positions. Um, I was a department coordinator for the emergency department. I had like 50 volunteers on my floor. And as a department coordinator, you get a chance to, you know, really build your leadership skills. So you are directing a department. Um, you are the main point of contact for the volunteers. If they had like any questions or concerns, they would like email to me. I was responsible for training them. And then also um, I had to like make sure to do um, weekly um, floor checks to talk to the staff members and then ask them about volunteers' performances if there is anything that they specifically wanted the volunteers to do. Uh, and also, uh, so the it's a great leadership opportunity. And then also as a part of the, uh, the leadership team, you also have some general responsibilities as a leader too. For example, I was involved in recruiting, interviewing and training new volunteers too. So the program recruits volunteers quarterly. Um, so um, as a leadership team member, you're also involved in uh, training and uh, you know helping those volunteers and uh, at the beginning of their volunteering journey. Okay. And yeah, that's I'm gonna mainly stop, I'm my, gonna stop yeah. you right there because you've given such great information. We're gonna have a follow-up question for you on sure. that. Um, you're an excellent ambassador for that program. That, that sounds truly, truly phenomenal. Um, Grace, did you wanna talk about the, the main responsibility of, of your clinical positions? Yes, definitely. Uh, hi, everyone. <laughs> um, I guess I could start off with shadowing. Um, if you're not familiar with shadowing, you're observing um, the physician, you're following them around. Uh, that's basically what I did. I shadowed my uh, childhood pediatrician, so I was able to um, follow her in her day to day and see how she interacted with patients. Um, my as a hospital volunteer, I volunteered during the summer. And my duties as a volunteer is more of patient interaction. So um, just as Camille said, a lot of the patients are um, lonely and sad. You know, being in the hospital is not a fun place to be uh, sometimes, um, probably most of the time. And unfortunately, um, some family members live far away and they usually are in the hospital room alone by themselves. So as a volunteer, my duty was to sit with them and watch Jeopardy or play board games with them and really just um, make sure that the patient was comfortable and happy and had someone to talk to. Um, so that was, 
actually one of my favorite experiences because it was really based on patient interaction and really just focused on that side of medicine that we usually don't um, see to. We usually see um, shadowing doctors and nurses, but we also want to make sure we focus on the patient and because they're the main focus of everything. I also um, had the awesome opportunity to volunteer internationally. I traveled to Lima, Peru and volunteered for mobile clinics. So I got to shadow doctors and also um, help in certain things as well, uh, hands-on experience as well. So we traveled to many low-income communities on the outskirts of Lima. Um, a, lot of, um, a lot of needed medical resources there. Um, clinics are far down the mountain. Um, it's very hard to seek help. So we really went out to, into the community and really helped the people who needed the, that immediate medical, um, medical assistance. So that was an amazing opportunity as well. Okay, thank you so much, Grace. Um, so panelists, finding uh, clinical positions during COVID is, is not easy. Um, but I'm wondering what was your process in terms of, um, and you might've found your opportunities in non-COVID times, but how did you actually find your clinical position and what tips would you have for students who are seeking um, a clinical opportunity? Tahira, could we start with you again? Yeah, sure. Uh, so as uh, Carol mentioned, um, I was actually doing my volunteer before COVID. So, um, how I found my opportunity was actually just researching it. Um, I was really lost on where to find a clinical experience. So um, my mom actually advised me to look at hospitals nearby, like your home, you know, because there's there's hospitals everywhere. So I just I did some research and um, I found out that the hospital near my home actually has a volunteer program. So I went on the website and um, I filled out the application and I I got. A interview a interview and then they told me to come in and then I gave an interview and the process wasn't that hard um the only thing that was hard was actually researching and you know taking the step to look for opportunities so that's my only tip for people hesitating to take that first step you know that is an excellent tip to think about um hospitals nearby during the summer if you're home um to look at local regional hospitals. That, that's an outstanding uh, tip, Tahira. Uh, Kamia, did you want to add to that? Uh, so for the Co-Health Scholar Program, honestly, I heard it from a professor. So there was a student that was volunteering at the program, and then she asked the professor if she can share that opportunity. And I was looking for an opportunity, and I thought, why not? So I just decided to apply for it. And then also physician shadowing. It might be difficult to find uh, physicians to shadow. So what you can do is that this is basically what I did is ask your professors or ask if you're in a research lab, ask for a PI. That's how I was able to find doctors to shadow. I asked them if they knew anyone. I just send them an introduction email and then ask them if they can share it with any doctors that they knew and then that's how I was able to find doctors to shadow. That's another excellent tip is to talk to your PIs because they can, having a name behind your application can mean the difference between it being viewed exactly. and not being viewed. So excellent information, Grace. 
Um, when I came to shadowing uh, my pediatrician, uh, since she was my childhood pediatrician, I just went to her office and uh, spoke to her, asked if I could meet with her and um, shared my interest in medicine. Um, that opportunity actually solidified um, my want to pursue a career in medicine, so I'd highly recommend shadowing a physician. For a hospital volunteer, I also just uh, looked up my local hospital mm -hmm. and I went on their um, on their website and looked up volunteering and I found the director of the volunteering department and I emailed her uh, directly and I had an interview with her. So that was awesome. And then for the mobile clinics, actually my friend um, in Puerto Rico actually connected me because she was signing up and she knew that I had great interest in doing something like this. and. She texted me, Grace, you have to do this. So also um, connect with your friends, you know, connect with your friends and see if they know any opportunities as well. Excellent advice. Um, we also, I'm gonna do a plug for our Anteater Career Network. Um, that is uh, a platform that you can use to connect with alumni and some of them may have some clinical opportunities um, to provide. Um, this is for, this question is for any, any of the panelists, um, can you share about the changes in your clinical work over the last year from COVID, if any of you are currently doing clinical work during COVID? Is that the case? Okay, it doesn't look like anyone is, oh, Tahira? Okay. I was just gonna say that um, I'm not doing any clinical work because I stopped doing it um, the moment uh, when COVID hit last year. So they actually um, stopped doing the like, volunteer program because they wanted to limit the number of people that were coming in, you know, and volunteers were just kind of optional. So they wanted um, non nurse practitioners and physicians to actually have the floor to themselves. So that was what I was gonna say. Okay, excellent. Camille? Mm -hmm. uh, I just wanted to add, so I haven't been doing any, um, uh, volunteering at Hoke also, but I just recently found out that um, they are actually restarting the program and they are accepting new applications also. The other thing I wanted to mention is e-shadowing. So there is something I found online that is e-shadowing and there are doctors that are presenting a clinical case or like things that might be interesting to pre-meds. It definitely is not the same as you know actual shadowing but I think it's also a good opportunity because a lot of those, you know, there are doctors, there are um, role models. And actually one of the doctors in the program was the person that I shadowed a couple of years ago. Um, so I think that's also a great opportunity that you can take advantage of because, um, you know, you can uh, write in your application that it was during COVID and I couldn't get any um, shadowing experience. Or you can say, you know, I tried to find an e-shadowing experience and you know it's something, and it shows that you actually took a step, and you know you tried to get some shadowing experiences even during COVID. Mm -hmm. Excellent advice, Grace. To add on to that, there's actually um, web shadowers. It's e-shadowing. I would recommend web shadowers. You can find them on Instagram and YouTube, and I've actually um, seen their videos. And just like Camille said, they present a case and you go along, like you go along with them as it feels like their day to day. Um, so I'd highly recommend that. And um, I've also have not been doing any um, clinical um, work currently, but I have found ways um, to volunteer more in um, medicine or more like healthcare. Um, part of Kapow, if you guys have heard of Kapow, it's um, without COVID, we would have um, went to elementary schools and 
basically um, shown the kids lessons on fitness and health, um, but with COVID, we're doing it through Zoom. So I think that's a way um, we've adapted during the pandemic is to give these lessons through Zoom. And I'm currently uh, looking for volunteering opportunities at vaccination sites as well. So even though we can't administer vaccines, we can still help with registration and uh, showing cars where to go and helping organize everything. So in that sense, you can definitely type into Google California <laughs> vaccination volunteering. And I think the site is um, California My Turn. I think that's what the site is called. So I would definitely recommend looking into that. I think you can consider that a clinical um, opportunity as well. Some really good robust tips here about what you can do. And, and definitely as things start to open up, as Camille said, there's some of these programs are starting to recruit now. So it's we're definitely looking at an optimistic trend in terms of clinical work. Uh, my next question for the panel is, how did you become qualified to attain your clinical position? And if you can kind of share with um, the students what your interview process was like. Um, Tahira, would you like to start? Yeah, so um, as I said, um, I think qualifications for the program depend on the clinical position that you're applying for and also the place that you're applying at. So for me, since I was applying at a local hospital, um, I would say that the, there was there were less strict um, qualifications that are required. So as opposed to like a bigger program, for example, um, if chalk I know chalk has a really strict um, um, interview process and a really strict uh, application program, but for me, like it wasn't that strict. All I had to do was um, fill out a form online and um, was able to give an interview, and that was about it. Um, also, like I don't remember the interview that much because it was like almost two years ago for me. <laughs> but um, I, the most of the questions that were pertaining to why I wanted to join the program and how does that relate to my future career. So um, you you guys can definitely um, connect your career to why that position would be like and that um, volunteer experience is vital for you. So yeah, that's about it. Thank you, Camille. Uh, so for the Copa Plus Scholar Program, it's an application online that you just answer some questions, and then after that, they would send you an interview invite. Um, the interview uh, was in multiple mini interview format, and uh, there were like stations, and it was myself and two other applicants that we were interviewed together, and they would just, uh, there were, I think, three questions, and then they would randomly ask us each question one question and then it was my first experience so I never had an interview before that but what I did is that I tried to you know just uh, look at some general interview questions and challenging situations or things like that and to kind of help with the anxiety I um, usually try to practice in my car when I was driving um, no one can hear you and I was just you know trying to like talk and then uh, to get some confidence and then after the interview process, uh, there is like training. Uh, and then I know for COPE, the training is now online. So there are like some modules that the students need to complete. And then after that, um, they're gonna be stations and then uh, they're gonna teach you some of the skills that you need. And then it would give you really confident and it would they would teach you 
how you would, for example, ambulate a patient or how would you interact with a patient? So what would you do in a specific scenario? And then after that, there's going to be an exam. You're just basically going to show whatever you learned. And then after that, you can start um, volunteering. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for that. that. That was some great information that you shared. And Grace? Um, the interview for the, as a hospital volunteer, it was more, um, not as strict as well. It was just, um, why do you want to volunteer? And, um, then they just went through a lot of guidelines, um, how to interact with the patient. They, they gave me like a big packet of how the hospital runs and what my responsibilities would be. And then asked for my hours as well when, when I'm available. So also not as strict, but I think it's also important to know like why you want to volunteer, why you're interested and just to have those answers ready as well. Absolutely. I am going to do a plug for the big interview. That's a platform that we have through the Division of Career Pathways and it allows you to practice your interviews. We even have a gallery of questions pertaining to medical school, health professional school. So please do check out uh, the big interview because it allows you to do some practicing and, and look at some sample questions as well. Um, we also have a toolkit that has that information as well. Um, my next question for the group is, can you identify what you think is one of the most important skills that you used in your clinical position? And um, how did you start developing that skill while you were at UCI or while you are at UCI? Tahira? Yeah, so um, one of the skills that I think is really important in a clinical setting is the ability to speak up and ask questions if you have a confusion. Because in a medical setting, even a small mistake due to the gap in your understanding can have big consequences. So for example, I will share like a small story. So um, one time when I, when I was in the emergency department, one of the nurses, um, he told me that uh, I should give the urine sample to the lab. But because the um, patient room was so crowded and chaotic, I didn't understand what to do with the urine sample. What I did was I flushed the urine sample instead. So when the nurse came in again, he asked me where the sample was and I told him that I flushed the sample and he was he was disappointed and he was a little mad. But um, in the end, like it was all fine, but all, it, all that happened was I didn't really understand and I didn't ask like for clarification. So it just ended up the patient had to wait to urinate again and uh, um, the nurse practitioner also had to wait because of me. And so I just, it was kind of overwhelming for me, but um, I think all, all we have to do is, you know, speak up and ask if there's confusion. And I think that is something that everyone at UCI um, also practices every day. So for example, in your classes, like if you have a question, you raise your hand and ask if there's a confusion, like you go to office hours. And so always like um, ask for help if needed and ask for clarification and confusion because that is definitely that something that is needed um, in the hospital setting. Thank you for that. That's great. Um, how, we, how we learn and grow is through making mistakes sometimes. So um, I appreciate you sharing that information. Uh, Camille? Uh, I totally agree with what Tahira said. It's important to get out of your comfort zone and be assertive. Uh, so that's like one of the lessons I learned. Um, I remember the first time, my very first shift, they asked me to go to the patient's room and update the whiteboards. And I was like, it's 7 a.m. I don't feel comfortable doing that. The patient might be sleeping. Um, I was really nervous doing it, but I just did it. You know, I was like, 
they asked me to do it. It's my first responsibility. And it wasn't as bad as I thought. And the patients were like, most of the time they were like awake or like they were actually really wanted to talk to someone. And then someone, it ended up like having, I ended up having conversations with them. It wasn't as difficult as I thought. And I just felt like, you know, getting out of your comfort zone and then um, really facing your fears uh, helps a lot. And then that's something that I also learned at UCI too, just being assertive and then try to take initiative. And when you do that, it is also more likely that they would give you more responsibilities. And then, uh, for example, I remember when I started uh, emergency department, you know, it's emergency department, there are a lot of procedures that you can watch. Um, so um, I try to like approach the emergency medical technicians whenever they were not busy and then ask them to let me know if there is any procedures I can watch, if there is anything I can help them with. And then this way you can, you know, over time build connections with them and then you're more likely to be included and then watch medical procedures. And, you know, sometimes they're busy, but they would really love to teach volunteers when they can. Excellent examples. Um, thank you both. Um, Grace? Um, I think the best way I can relate a skill is to be like a sponge, <laughs> to really um, be receptive, to be attentive, to also be eager as well, to want to learn and to want to listen to what you're being taught as well. And every experience, whether you're shadowing, whether you're volunteering, um, you're gonna learn so much information. You're gonna hear so much great advice as well. You're gonna wanna take that in and to hold on to it. When it comes to talking with patients, it's awesome to listen to them and to engage in conversation. And a lot of the patients I was able to build a relationship where they knew I came in Tuesdays and Thursdays. And if they were still there for the week, I was able to pop in the room and say, hey, I'm here. You know, and I'd sit with them and talk with them and they would look forward to that. When it came to um, volunteering in, in Lima, um, the doctors, they knew that I was eager to learn. So they would, you know, they would be receptive to that. They saw that I really wanted to know that I was really interested. So don't be afraid to show your interest. Don't be afraid to ask questions, um, to show, to be eager to know as well, because then they will see that and they're going to want to give the same energy back to you. Um, patients alike, doctors, whatever energy you give forward, it's going to come back to you. Excellent advice from our panelists. So I wanted to ask all of you, um, what has been your favorite aspect of the clinical position that, that you've held? Tahira, want to start? So I relate to Grace um, when she said that the patients were really nice. So I think my favorite part about my whole experience was the patient gratitude. So I, I didn't know that giving a glass of water to someone could be that rewarding, you know? So like the patient, I know one time I just gave this patient a blanket and she, when she was getting discharged, she told, she told the nurse specifically that, hey, this volunteer was actually really nice to me. So that was, that actually made my day. And I didn't know that even such a small gesture could be like significant in like a patient's life. So I think it was a patient gratitude and the satisfaction that you get from serving someone. That's great. Camille? Uh, so I feel like um, probably the best aspect was that I learned professionalism in medicine. 
So um, I learned that what is the scope of my practice? What can I do? And it's very important to always communicate your scope of practice, but at the same time, be flexible also. So I feel like uh, volunteering and then also shadowing both helped me to gain an insight into professionalism in medicine, how we do interact with patients, um, how would you always consider the patient's um, safety and health in mind? How would you prioritize that? Um, I think that was probably um, the, uh, my favorite aspect of volunteering and shadowing. Um, the other thing I would say for physician shadowing, I shadow the hospitalist and um, there were a team of residents and medical students, but the hospitalist, they were discussing cases. So the, the favorite aspect of this was for me to learn how they would communicate with each other. So they wanted the residents to present the cases. They wanted, they were expected to look at all the medical records and then they were expected to only present a summary, a short summary, uh, make a diagnosis and what steps would they take if they need to change anything or not. And I felt like it was very important because I was able to you know, observe some of those challenges. Um, it didn't really help if like someone just was sharing uh, lab results. They wanted to see, okay, what is your diagnosis? Why are you sharing this? Um, everyone else already knows, like looked at the chart and then they know those details. What was important is to really summarize everything and then try to come up with a diagnosis and try to you know, form your opinion, even though sometimes they were not exactly accurate, but the idea of just challenging yourself and then trying to look at data and then really make a presentation and then try to apply your own knowledge to come up with something was important. And um, I really enjoyed um, that aspect of shadowing. Thank you so much, Grace. Um, I'd have to say uh, seeing the patient as a person, you know, in medicine, we see, I think there's a lot of ways to see medicine, but I know for me, what's making, what's drawing me to medicine, what wants me to continue to pursue this is being able to be there for the person, the person as a whole, the patient holistically, because, and I mean, I'm an extrovert. I love to talk to people. I love to be in conversation. So talking to patients um, is my dream as a, as a physician, future physician, hopefully. <laughs> um, so as a pediatrician, um, shadowing my pediatrician, I saw the relationship she cultivated with the families that came in, with the children, seeing them grow up, you know, in front of her eyes. Um, as a hospital volunteer, um, it was just so awesome being able to sit in with patients and uh, one patient, he told me about how he fell in love with his wife. He told me about their love story. Um, others, um, they told me about their favorite food and everything that they've eaten in their lifetime during traveling. And then while in Lima, I had these very just beautiful moments with patients. Um, I was, I'm, I bilingual, I speak Spanish, so I was able to communicate directly with the patients. And they told me their story, their struggle, the need that they have, that they want for medicine in their community. And um, I was able to speak to everyone in the community and ask, you know, where, what are their wants, their needs, 
what's their day-to-day like? And I was able to communicate that to the, to the community leaders, to MedLife, to the organization that I was a part of, that I'm a part of. And hearing that we, you know, we shared a good cry together, a lot of good tears were shared and, um, you know, also a prayer over each other as well. Just having that experience, seeing the story, seeing the person behind everything, honestly, is what's amazing to me. And, in life, in medicine, and everything. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. That was really beautiful. I think everybody does have a, a personal narrative. Everybody has a story, and it's really an honor to be able to share that, I think, with patients and listen to their stories. Um, my next question is, so every organization has a culture, and I'm just wondering, how did you experience uh, the different cultures that you were in, and how would you describe the culture of the organization where you did your clinical work. Uh, Tahira? Um, Can you clarify what you mean by culture? Yeah, so like every organization has a personality. Some are really fast paced, some are kind of low key. Um, So I'm just wondering what was the culture like in the hospital that, or in the, you know, division of the hospital where you worked? Uh, So I think it was a bit of both because I think uh, since I worked in the emergency department, some mm-hmm. days it would be really fast paced, other days it would be really slow and um, slow paced. Like, so to the, some days the physicians and the non-practitioners would be talking about um, going to um, a party and other days they would be talking about how a patient with a stroke is going to come in in 10 minutes. So mm-hmm. it was just like a spectrum. So, um, and I think um, the culture I, that, I, that I think I would talk, like to talk about is how the all the practitioners and all the MDs, I think they were really respectful. And um, they, even though they were um, professionals, they also had um, their personal lives. So that actually made me see the professionals as um, more than professionals. They were also people. So, yeah. Excellent. Thank you. Camille? So I would say um, it was a really diverse culture, like you would see different people. And then depending on the department you were shifting, it was different. So emergency department was always busy, Mm -hmm. but the other floors sometimes were uh, more quiet. And uh, I would say doctors, the nurses were very professional. And then everyone were rallying teamwork. And uh, they were always really restrict about patient coming first and then respecting laws and regulations but at the same time, really kind and really flexible. So trying to do their best to provide the best care to the patient. Mm -hmm. Great, Grace? I think think the main environment that I saw or the culture was um, in the mobile clinics in Peru because um, I think my friends here have mentioned that with the hospital can be fast paced, very diverse. Um, a lot of things can be going on, but at the same time, so you have those chill moments um, that are just like, okay, you know? Um, but in Lima, I saw everyone had the same goal. Everyone had the same purpose, the want to provide medicine to, um, to communities that needed it the most. Everyone had the goal to help the person because you know, there's a great need for medicine everywhere. I mean, here being in the US, um, you know, we think, you know, there's, oh, there's medicine, there's hospitals, but down in South America, everywhere, 
there's not that accessible medicine that everyone needs. So everyone is in tune, everyone is aware of the needed medicine. So I think the culture was that everyone had the same common purpose in mind to provide medicine to those in need. Mm -hmm. So you had the benefit of, of seeing the inequities that, that exist, not just in the US, but internationally as well. Exactly. Okay, um, my next question is, and we've touched upon this a, a bit, but what was the biggest challenge um, that you faced in, in your respective clinical positions? Atahira? Um, I think for me, the biggest challenge was trying to figure out um, my role um, and not trying to get in the way of the physicians and the professionals. So because I think volunteering experience is um, basically what you put in. So the more eager you are, um, the more you, you, the more is what you get out of it and what you learn. So um, uh, I think that was the most important and like the most hardest part for me was trying to figure out how to best get what I want from this experience without trying to um, sabotage the work of the professionals. That's really well put. Thank you. Samia? Um, probably something that was really challenging for me at the beginning was to avoid getting tired. So I was shifting for four hours, but during that time, you're constantly walking around. Um, you, you don't usually sit, you're like walking from some place to another place or you're running or like, um, and that was a little bit um, challenging for me at first. Um, I realized that I really needed a comfortable shoes. <laughs> so that was one thing. And uh, so over time, I just realized, you know, I don't have to be shy. So I can ask you know, sometimes to just like, sit down for a second and then, you know, take like a one minute or two minute break and, you know, try to really um, make sure that I'm not exhausted because um, I was there for the patients and I was there to learn. So I really didn't want to be tired or like have any negative mm -hmm. feeling. And I felt like the other aspect for me was managing the stress. Sometimes like I had exams. So I was like, oh my God, I have an exam and I have a shift. And I was worried about both of them. But when I was walking to the hospital, but I tried to over time, I tried to, you know, manage my schedule. They were really flexible about exams. If I had to, let's like sometimes reschedule my shifts, they were really understanding about it. And then what I also learned was that um, over time, I learned when I'm walking to the hospital to stop thinking about a school and then just be at the moment and then just focusing on learning and providing uh, help to the patients. And I think that really helped me. And then also going there and then having that um, attitude um, helped, really helped me. And I feel like over time, I just learned to get energy from patients as well. So even though, you know, I had an exam, I just went there and I was like, you know, I'm just trying to um, do my best, uh, do whatever I can. And then at the end of the day, when I was leaving the hospital, I felt like I had so much energy and I just had like a motivation, a purpose to go back to my study. And that was really um, good for me. I felt, I felt like it was really um, motivating for me. That's, that's really great to hear. I do have a follow-up question for Tahira and Kamiya. How many hours a week did you put in doing your clinical work? And then how many units were you taking? Because it sounds like it is definitely a spinning plates kind of situation. 
Uh, so for me, um, I usually take a start. Um, I'm just wondering how many hours you, you put in. Oh, okay. Uh, so uh, when I was volunteering, um, the requirement was that I do at least 100 hours. Mm -hmm. uh, did I freeze or was that? No, I think that my, my internet connection was a little unstable, but it seems to be okay now. So we're going to cross our fingers. And okay. You can all hear me. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, we can hear you. Mm -hmm. uh, so um, the requirement for me was to do 100 volunteers of volunteer hours in a year. Um, so at first I thought it was a lot, but um, I realized that um, four hour shifts are kind of the norm, like the lowest you can do in a hospital setting. So um, what I used to do was that um, mine was pretty easy. Like I used to do four hours a week um, every Saturday from 8 a.m. to 12 a.m. Um, in uh, for a year. So that just covered up everything for me. And for the units I was taking, um, I took anywhere from about 12 to 16 units. Mm -hmm. So that was just kind of a standard work. Okay, thank you. That, that's really helpful. Camille, did you want to add to that? Uh, so we were required to do uh, four shifts a month and each shift was four hours. So it wasn't super challenging. But if you also want to join the leadership team, there are some responsibilities that you need to do as a leader. So when I was um, part of the leadership team, uh, it was actually a little bit uh, struggling for me um, to um, manage that, but they were really understanding about it. And then they allowed me to do less shifts so that I could also do my leadership duties and um, you know, study for my classes. Uh, and then for the units, I think, um, the program requires like 250 or 280 hours. Mm -hmm. And then after you complete that, you get a certificate from UCLA. Mm -hmm. um, and then for my classes, I think I was taking probably three classes and also research as well. Very full plate, but you said it motivated you, which is really nice. Yeah, it, it, was, it was manageable. So I, I tend to get stressful a lot, especially during exams. But honestly, I would say it was really manageable. It really was. Well, I'm going to segue to Grace. And did you want to answer that initial question, which was the biggest challenge? That you've yeah, had? definitely. I think, um, you know, dealing with self-doubt, dealing with, um, you know, my own anxiety and, um, you know, somewhat of an imposter syndrome. Um, the day, the first day I uh, shadowed my pediatrician, even though I knew her, even though I was very familiar with the setting, I was nervous and really anxious, uh, so much so that I actually fainted on the first day because I was so nervous. Um, I, that's one of my funny stories that I have. So it, it's totally okay. I mean, I, um, I fainted on the first day just because I was overwhelmed with excitement and I was nervous and I didn't know what to expect. And it was the first ever experience of anything that I had in medicine. So I was just like, like a little guppy, like, oh my gosh, what am I going to see? <laughs> um, what am I going to expect? So I, um, but thankfully she was like it's okay just wait till you're in medical school and you guys have to give each other uh, shots then everyone's you know fainting <laughs> she's like it's totally okay um so I think dealing with um your own self-doubt and anxiety um just to show yourself that you can do it that you're capable that you're awesome and that you're totally able to do this so that was my own <laughs> funny <laughs> story well, so, if you're if you're gonna faint somewhere it better be in a doctor's office why why not let it be there um exactly thank you, thank you for being so honest and showing <laughs> vulnerability by talking about 
you know, imposter syndrome and those those types of sort of real reactions that we get when we're in in new situations that are out of our comfort zone and really important to us. I know that it's very important to to all three of our panelists, the kind of work that you're doing. Um, before we segue into our questions, and I know we have quite a few questions waiting for us, um, I'm wondering what other professions did you interact with when you were doing your clinical work? Uh, Tahira? The professions in um, the clinical setting that we were in? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I know you probably did physicians. Were there any other healthcare practitioners, um, nurse practitioners, I would think? And yeah, because um, it was the emergency department, um, there was um, a, a diverse uh, staff in the emergency department. So anywhere from nurse practitioners to uh, actual physicians to scribes. Um, I would even mention um, uh, the professionals that bring in the food for the patients. Um, even the, the cleaning staff, I would mention. I think um, every single person in the department and the hospital is important. So. Um, I would also consider um, those people as professionals in um, the hospital setting. Mm -hmm. And I think it gives you a really good window into other professions when you're in ER. You're, you see the full spectrum, like you said, nutritionists to nurses, um, to the physicians and the support staff as well. Yeah. Um, Kania? <clears throat> so in most of the floors, you see uh, nurses or nurse practitioners. And then in the emergency department, there are like, um, in addition to nurses and nurse practitioners, there were PAs. Uh, there were also patient uh, uh, emergency medical technicians. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the other departments, for example, uh, in the brain and the spine, I remember I was interacting a lot with therapists, speech therapists or mm -hmm. uh, physical therapists because sometimes patients had a stroke. So I was kind of helping them as well. And then um, for example, when I was also doctors, different specialties, um, at the emergency department, you get to interact with emergency medicine doctors. For example, I was also volunteering at um, labor and delivery, and I was interacting a lot with the OBGYNs also, or anesthesiologists. And for uh, physician shadowing, I shadowed surgeons at a hospital, as like I mentioned before. Outstanding. Okay, Grace? I have to agree with my friends here. It's um, I also interacted with, um, you know, you have physicians, but medical assistants, uh, scribes, other volunteers, um, nurses, nurse practitioners, um, the community members as well. I mean, when, and Lima seeing the community members and then um, also the other, um, the people who are in charge of the organization. So mm -hmm. uh, a lot of mm -hmm. just diversity, a lot of people, um, you have to remember it's a village. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it takes a lot of people um, in medicine to do what they do. Um, I may not have sent you this question, but I'm wondering um, to what extent do the folks that you interacted with, are they able to provide you with letters of recommendation for other internships or for professional school? Whoever wants to answer that question. Uh, so for the Co-op Health program, I actually asked them for a letter of recommendation for medical school. Mm -hmm. um, they would provide that, uh, but it's also important that keep that in mind that if you try to interact more with them, then they would have more to say about your experiences in the program and not just, you know, mentioning your clinical experiences, how many hours you um, 
volunteered and the departments uh, we volunteered at. And then same with the physician shadowing, I'm planning to um, ask one of the doctors that I shadowed to write me a letter of recommendation. So they would be willing to do that, definitely. Excellent. Okay. Um, my last question before we dive into the, the Q and A's, and we've got some percolating there. And if any students have any questions, be sure to type them in the Q and A. I'm wondering if there's any final tips that you want to share uh, with with students on the on the webinar tonight. I think that my biggest tip would be to just go for it. If and um, if you think that there is opportunity that you want to do, then don't be hesitant and just try to get as many opportunities as possible. Even if you um, end up not getting that opportunity, um, at least you tried. And you know that if one opportunity, one door closes, you know to find another one. So just don't just like stay stagnant in one place. Just try to find opportunities and apply for as many as you can. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Anyone else? Yeah, I have to say the same thing. Go for it. Don't be hesitant. You know, um, try it. Try, you know, don't be afraid to step out of your comfort zone. Um, try to see everyone's story. Try to learn as much as you can. Absorb everything you can. Um, because this is like, you know, every experience is a meaningful, meaningful experience. And you're going to get something out of it. And if you can, write stuff in a journal. Um, jot stuff down put stuff immediately into your resume um, so you don't forget it. Um, it's really important to remember everything that you're doing. So if you choose to go to grad school or choose to um, you know, um, apply for a job after, you have those experiences and you have those memories. Mm -hmm. And Camille, you had talked to me earlier about maybe a tip sheet that you wanted me to share with the students. You wanna talk about that a little bit? Sure. So uh, there's this just documents. Uh, it has some links about the resources that a students can use to gain uh, clinical experiences. Um, the e-shadowing that I mentioned, uh, the Co-Health Scholar Program, and uh, some other opportunities like research, clinical research experiences also. Um, I will um, send that to you so you can share it to everyone. Okay, and what I will do, folks on the call, I will actually share that out through Handshake so that if you uh, registered for this event, um, you can go into Handshake and you'll be able to see that document. So I'm going to go into the first question is, will the sessions be recorded? This is actually a session that is being recorded. If you have any classmates, uh, we won't be sharing the presentation, but it will be on our website. The recording will be on our website soon. Um, and if you have any classmates who were not able to attend because of a conflict, uh, please do share this out because this is, this is great information. Um, so first question, and whoever wants to, to grab this question, um, when I go through these questions, um, some of them are directed to specific panelists. But the first question I have is, how many clinical hours are required for medical school? Anyone know that? I would say, um, so I'm, I um, applied to medical school this cycle, uh, so <laughs> I'm in the gist of it. Um, uh, I would say any experiences that have um, a, good, a, like a good amount of hours that show that you have spent time there. I would say, you know, 10 hours is not enough. Um, 
you know, 20, probably still not enough, I'd say, um, like the 100 hour minimum that was mentioned, that is definitely uh, worth putting on your resume. You wanna have enough experience to show that you have experience. Okay, anyone else wanna to add to that? Okay, thank you for that, Grace. So the next question is, speaking from somebody who has a low GPA, would you say that getting into clinical programs is difficult? And, and my question to add on to that is, is how carefully do they, they screen for GPAs? And anyone who wants to tackle that one. Um, I can answer that one. So for me, uh, I, I have a normal GPA. I wouldn't say it's really high. So um, I think that um, getting opportunities that are kind of low key, I would say. So for me, um, I, I, that's why I applied at a local hospital so that um, when I'm applying into more competitive programs, I have that experience at a prior hospital to back that up. So that's something I would suggest. And I also think that um, usually clinical um, experiences at a hospital or like volunteering or like any kind of employed position, I don't think they really look at your GPA. I think what they mostly look at is um, your skill set as a person and how willing you are to, and how much you're gonna how much you're gonna put in that experience. And I would add to that: please don't screen yourself out by by GPA. Um, you know, a lot of times students will not even put themselves in the ring. They'll they'll immediately, um, unless there's a specific GPA requirement, by all means, please apply. Um, the next question is. So does shadowing contribute towards clinical hours? For some reason, I didn't think it did. Um, I know on the ACOMAS application, application for DO schools, they have shadowing separate from clinical experience. So they, when you input your experiences, it's like shadowing, volunteering, clinical experiences and other, or like presentations. Um, so I would say um, clinical experience is a little bit more hands-on, where shadowing is just observing. So um, I'm not sure. I'm not um, so sure for a a AMC <laughs> the MCAS? yeah MCAS. There you go. I'm sorry, MCAS. Um, how they will categorize it, but I know for ACOMAS they do um, categorize it differently. Mm -hmm. Okay. Anyone else want to add to that? So I just wanted to see when I was looking at MSAR, um, the, uh, the website that has information about the MD programs, um, it's important that you check specific programs because sometimes they have different requirements. So for example, some MD requirements, I know they have like a specific um, shadowing hours that they require and they consider it different from your clinical volunteering experiences. So I would recommend um, to look at specific schools or look at MSAR to get more information about those. I'm gonna underscore what Kenya says. Uh, if you invest in any type of booklet um, or guide, I should say the, the MSAR should definitely be on your list if you're considering um, medical school. That is um, one of the best resources and you wanna look at the individual schools to which you're applying. Okay, we have a specific question for Kamiya. Um, hi, Kamiya, I used to be a volunteer at Hoke Hospital as well in the critical care unit. I was responsible for managing, answering and directing incoming calls from all types of departments and physicians. But I also had to check on patients and units and notify the RN or the physician about any issues or emergencies. 
I sometimes had to enter the patient's room to understand their emergency and sometimes to help them with simple things like bed remote control or giving them waters or towels, but not necessarily working with IV or special things because I wasn't licensed. Would you say that my volunteering could be considered as clinical experience? Absolutely. So um, one of the important things is that, um, so you, sounds like you had a lot of great experiences. And uh, so what is important is to always recognize your scope of practice. So as a volunteer, they don't expect you to um, know how to do special things or like um, how would you insert an IV? They don't expect you to do that, uh, but they want you to have like some hours of um, clinical experiences and then also the experiences that you can talk about and then how those experiences reinforce your interest in medicine. So the fact that you were able to, you know, communicate with the patients and with the doctors and address their questions and concerns, that is amazing. And it's definitely something that um, you can talk about the different experiences that you had on your application. Uh, and they don't really expect you to um, do things that are really you're not like licensed for or you're not really trained for. Okay, so the next question, I'm going to combine a couple of questions together because there's a lot of questions about shadowing and how do you actually negotiate that experience? Um, you know, how do you get shadowing experience and how do you approach a physician and other healthcare practitioner about shadowing them? This is an excellent question. Who wants to tackle that one? So Grace, in your case, you had an existing relationship. Yes. Um, has, has anyone um, done shadowing with someone who you haven't had an existing relationship with? And how did you negotiate that? So I had, um, what I did is that I asked one of my professors, like I mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. I um, emailed her I am, and um, I sent an introduction request if she can introduce me to doctors. And that's how I was able to um, get connected with uh, a hospitalist. And then also the other thing I would say is that always take advantage of different opportunities. So for example, there is the UCI Biosci mentor programs. There are great mentors. You can sign up for that. They are medical professions. Uh, they're medical professionals. I found a mentor, she's a pediatrician. And you know, even though I graduated, I still have a connection with her. And then um, she has been helping me with medical school application also. So these are the things that you can, you know, sign up for and then find opportunities. And the other thing I would mention is that for, um, I also shadowed um, uh, a surgeon, uh, a trauma surgeon, and uh, the way actually I found him was through Donuts with the Dean. So in my first quarter at UCI, I attended Donuts with the Dean, and then the guest speaker was an amazing um, doctor. So I talked to him, I approached to him, and I said, I'm looking for um, shadowing opportunities. And he also connected me with a trauma surgeon. And then that's how I got um, shadowing experiences. So look for those opportunities and don't be afraid to ask because they are really willing to help you. So that is under the category, the umbrella of networking. And I would underscore that network as much as you can use the anteater career network that we have. We have a video on that in our video library. Um, think like Grace did, think back to your childhood physicians and in your hometown, if maybe there's someone that you know, 
that would be willing to offer a shadowing opportunity. Try to be creative, try to brainstorm ideas, um, and don't be afraid to what I call cold email through LinkedIn. Um, that could be another way um, to get connected. Um, the next question is about, this is a great question. What advice do you have for students who are applying next cycle for med school but have zero clinical experience due to the pandemic? And a lot of students are in this predicament right now. Um, for that, I would say that try looking for um, online opportunities. Um, as my peers over here mentioned, there's a lot of e-shadowing opportunities that are available. If you can't really get directly into contact with patients, then um, this is something you can do to um, make up for that. And medical schools know that you can't have that direct patient interaction. So also keep that in mind. Um, also, um, so that is, if you are trying to look for alternatives instead of direct patient contact, that just shows how much willing you are to actually go into that field. And that actually feeds into um, what medical schools are looking in for applicants, like that drive, that dedication. So um, any kind of online experience, even if it's not directly medical related, as long as you're learning something from it, I think that any kind of experience is valid. Excellent advice. I also wanted to mention that I do have a document that I'm willing to share as well. Um, it is a virtual volunteering document, how you can maintain your volunteerism during COVID. Um, of course, I have to, to let you know that it's not necessarily in clinical settings, but there are some health-related opportunities. For example, um, staffing a crisis line could be something that, that you could include. Um, as Tahira said, and the other panelists have said, that the e-shadowing would be something to definitely look at. Um, one of the questions is, can you share the link to the e-shadowing? And I will be sharing the document that Kamiya provides to me that will have that information. I will also send to everybody that document that I mentioned on virtual volunteerism that was uh, compiled by the National Association of Advisors in the Health Profession. It's a document that was uh, advisors from all over the country contributed to it. So you might find that um, valuable as well. Um, let's see what else we have here. Um, so this says, I heard Dr. Gray is also providing e-shadowing opportunities to students on his website. Do you folks know about Dr. Gray? Okay. That must be- Yeah, that, that's actually the e-shadowing program that I was talking about. Oh, great. Okay, wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. We're, who wrote that? Um, will the recording, yes, uh, we're, as I said, we're not gonna be sharing it, but it will be living on our website and you can definitely access this video and please share out with the classmates that had conflicts because I had a lot of interest in this uh, session. Um, next question is COPE Health Scholar Program versus a general hospital volunteer program, pros and cons. Okay, I'll start off first because I just volunteer at a general pace. So mm -hmm. I would say the pros is that um, the application and the process is easier. Like you're more likely to get in and get that experience um, more quickly and more, um, it, it's gonna be easier for you to get in. Um, I, one of the cons, I guess you could say is, I mean, not really a con, but um, it's, I mean, because Kimia, I, um, she gets a certificate from UCLA. So I guess you could say it's, um, not that recognized, but um, I 
I would say that what's more important is what you learn from your experience and not that someone else recognizes you. So that's just my opinion. But um, of course, um, the bigger the program, the more prestigious and more recognized it is. And um, what you can also do is just um, get the smaller experience for the bigger experience. So kind of like back up what you learned from like your like general hospital, for example, and then use that experience to say when you're applying for a bigger program, say like POC or like Kaiser, like a volunteer program, you can say that I already volunteered here and then you can use that experience to back up your application for a bigger program. Does anyone else have anything to add for that? Okay, so I, I skipped over a question. This one is directed to Grace. Um, hello, Grace. It's so nice to see you. I love the camaraderie of, among our students. It's so nice to see. I always get confused between scribing and shadowing. Based on your shadowing experience, could you explain what responsibilities you had while shadowing and did you do any scribing? And let me just pop in and let you know tomorrow we are having a medical scribe session with a actual medical scribe. But Grace, I'm going to turn that over to you. Hi, Regina. <laughs> See you in class on Wednesday. <laughs> um, so a shadowing opportunity, you're just following the doctor. You are kind of like a fly on the wall. You are stepping into the patient room with them and they'll ask the patients for permission for you to sit in the room. And you are quiet, just listening and watching everything that they're doing. Um, and um, when they're not with patients, they'll usually talk about their experience. This is when you can ask them for advice, um, how they pursued medicine, what drove them to pursue medicine. That's what allows you to build that network with the physician. Now, when it comes to scribing, scribing, I've heard it being described as um, kind of um, writing the notes for the doctor. Um, you're also, yeah, I hope I get this right. I see you guys mm -hmm. nodding because <laughs> I'm also learning as well as I go of what a scribe um, does as well. So you're um, not necessarily following the doctor, but you're going to be talking with patients and also I think the best way to describe is when you walk into a doctor's office and you're sitting waiting for the for the doctor to come in and that person comes in and it's like, hi, what are you here for? Um, sometimes that's a medical assistant. I've heard sometimes it's a scribe as well. So like, hi, what are you here for? Um, and they write the, the notes for it before the doctor or they'll write the doctor's notes after as well. So you're also, I feel like it's an advanced shadowing position <laughs> where you are doing everything that the doctor um, wants you to do as well. Uh, I can sort of self-disclose. I, I went in just last week to an ear specialist. Um, he's a very renowned ear doctor and he did have a medical scribe. I would liken it to sort of a court reporter for medical information. So I, I noticed that everything I said and everything the doctor said, he was basically taking notes as Grace said and um, you know didn't really interact much with me, but he seemed to have a really good relationship with the with the physician, and he knew the other physicians that the physician was referring me to. Um, does anyone else want to add about the scribe? Um, um, I think if if I'm not wrong, I think if there's one sentence summary, then it would be that scribes make the physician's job easier. While the um, well, when you're shadowing, you're you're just learning from them. So I think that's kind of the big difference. Mm-hmm, excellent point. Okay, anyone else? Okay, so the next question is, 
Um, and this is a good question. Can you talk about how clinical experience gives you the opportunity to learn about different specialties? Um, I know when I was in Lima, um, we had the opportunity since we set up mobile clinics. So actually, um, I'll explain a little bit. So we went to a community and set up tents and would um, uh, a lot of the community members would let us um, be in their houses as well um, to set up like a, a patient room in their houses in their living room or we would set up tents as well and put um, tarps around them. So I had the opportunity to interact with the general doctor where if anyone had any general concerns, um, more cough, um, if their children had um, skin issues, um, anything that you could think of, that, that was the general doctor. We also had a gynecologist for women who for their annual checkups as well, as well, or um, a lot of pregnant women as well that needed to have a checkup. So I got to interact a lot with the, with the gynecologist. And we also had a dentist as well, which was really awesome too. So, and a pharmacist. So whenever they needed medicine, um, they'd go to the pharmacist and we had available and accessible medicine for them to take home or if they needed um, to see their teeth checked as well or um, you know, take out a cavity, even teeth were being pulled as well. So you, a lot of people got to see that hands-on experience as well. Anyone else? Um, the next question is, um, which year did you all start your clinical experience? Which year at UCI? Tahira, did you wanna go first? Uh, yeah, so I think mine was when I was a sophomore. So um, it was the summer of sophomore year, and then I did for a whole year. So my sophomore and junior year. Excellent. Uh, so I am a transfer student. Um, so I started my clinical experience um, at Copalta School Program when I was at Community College. And then um, I continued that when I transferred to UCI. I believe I was a third year at that time. And then um, after that, I graduated from the program. Excellent. Grace? I started the summer after freshman year. And then um, I basically managed everything, everything, everything during the summers. I think there's a question that asks how we managed it. So I would work during the summers. I did all of my clinical experiences during the summers. Right. That dovetails in the next question. That's what I call the plate spinning. Um, any tips for folks? It sounds like all of you are just incredibly busy and um, I am grateful that you were able to make it to the panel because I know how busy you all are. Um, but I'm wondering any tips on how you balanced school with volunteering and family and other, other responsibilities that, that you have? I guess a good planner might be a good start, right? <laughs> I think um, what helped me a lot was knowing um, the course load that I was gonna have for the year. Um, what I like to do is like set up a Google Doc and say during fall quarter, I like to take these classes, winter quarter these classes, spring quarter these classes, uh, and saw that if I was able to um, do volunteering during the year. But where I found was that I actually put all my clinical experiences during the summer. So I'd start right when school would end and would end right when school would start. So that'd give me a good chunk of time to get in those clinical hours, to get in my volunteering at the hospital, and I'd work the whole summer. 
um, because during the year I was uh, working at the career center <laughs> uh, with, with Carol and awesome other counselors as well, or I was doing research during the year as well. So I do other stuff during the year, but I'd save my volunteering and clinical experiences during the summer. Thank you. We will be recruiting for the peer advisor program, by the way, that Grace spoke about. If anybody has, has an interest, um, you know, please connect with me. Um, let's see, I wanna be able to get through all of our questions. So this is a really good question. So um, what about non-STEM majors? They're interested in clinical volunteering or physician shadowing. Um, we do have at UCI non-STEM majors that are still taking the uh, pre-med prerequisites. Um, and I know Grace, you have a double, you're, you're minor in poli-sci. Um, did any of your um, clinical volunteer colleagues, were they, were they non-STEM majors? And do you know how that works with volunteering? Um, I don't think that you have to be a STEM major to apply to clinical experiences. Um, I could speak um, during the interview process. I had um, an interview and before the interview, they had all of us in this big um, like waiting room. And we all said our majors, and there is a lot of non-STEM majors. So um, I haven't met personally a non-STEM major in another clinical experience, but there are a lot of non-STEM majors applying to medical school. I think the main thing is just going out and getting that experience and being eager for that experience. So you don't have to be a bio major, you don't have to be a chem major. I'm sorry, there's <laughs> noise outside my window. Um, you don't have to be a STEM major to go out for those experiences. And we will be ending at 7.30. Um, I still have a few more questions and thank you for the stamina required to the panel. I know you've had a long day and um, I just wanna recognize that. Um, I'm gonna kind of scroll through here. Uh, the Lima experience sounds amazing. It definitely does. Um, and the question is, can you give any, any tips? I, I did ask before about the interviews, but what about preparing for the interviews? How, how do you recommend that students prepare for the clinical interviews that you might receive? So I think it's just, this is kind of just a general tip for interviews in general. So anywhere you're applying, you kind of want to have an idea of what you're going into so that the person interviewing you knows that um, you've done your research and that you're actually interested in the position that you're applying for. So for me, um, I kind of looked in into the medical center and their, um, what they want from volunteers, like um, their work ethic, their goals for um, their organization, for example, and also what what a day in the life of like a volunteer or like a ER, like what kind of things are you gonna see to, for the position that you're applying for? So um, I, when I was applying for the emergency department, I honestly had no idea like what kind of things I would see. So I had to research kind of beforehand and see like there's gonna be patients that are coming in that have a stroke and, or, and sometimes there's just patients that come in just, just because they feel they're lonely. Like I had people, that came in just because they were lonely and they had nothing wrong with them. So um, you just have to get ready for these kind of um, interviews and just prepare beforehand. Mm -hmm. Really good advice. I'm gonna do another plug, the big interview. You can go on and practice and there's the gallery of questions. Look at our career toolkit and you can also make an appointment to meet with one of our career educators and 
you can ask, you know, what types of questions should I ask? And you can even do a mock interview with them and um, definitely uh, utilize our services. Does anyone else have anything to add regarding the interview and anticipating those questions? Okay, so definitely use the Division of Career Pathways. That would be really important. Um, so um, given COVID, are health graduate schools accepting virtual shadowing hours? Does anybody have any updates on that based on your applications? So I think that would really depends on the specific schools that you're applying to. I also saw that question on the eShadowing website, um, the Dr. Gray's uh, eShadowing website. And uh, they were recommending to check with um, specific programs. Okay, excellent. I think at this point, it really is important um, to check with the individual programs. I also just want to make a statement that many students are in the same predicament and they haven't been able to acquire shadowing experience. And, um, you know, health professional schools um, will understand if there's, a, you know, sometimes shadowing programs, you had them and they were canceled. So there will be an understanding of that. Um, you know, we're all kind of rowing in the same canoe in the same direction um, during this pandemic. Um, but please feel free to, like I said, meet with the, regarding your individual situations, you can meet with a career advisor, you can meet with me and we can talk through um, the, the whole process. Um, I do work with, with pre-meds and students who are preparing and applying to medical school. Um, next question is for, for Grace, and it's a good question. How did you prepare for the MCAT? And what kinds of clinical experience do medical schools look for? Is it necessary to have paid experiences like scribing? So that's kind of a three-part question. MCAT, what kind <laughs> yeah. of clinical experience? And yeah. That's a good question. That's a really good question because this is every pre-med has to deal with this. <laughs> it's going to come our way. Um, I prepared for the MCAT during the summer um, after my third year. So I... Uh, started studying for the MCAT in June. Um, that's why I say utilize your summers, devote your summers to um, uh, volunteering, clinical experience, uh, studying for the MCAT. I studied for the MCAT, took the MCAT in September, um, decided to retake the MCAT. So <laughs> I then, so yes, I retake the MCAT. It's okay to retake. Don't, it's not something to feel bad for at all. We all have our own goals. We all want to challenge ourselves. So I decided to retake the, the MCAT and I started studying right after like Thanksgiving break. Um, and I studied all through Christmas break. Uh, every day I basically crammed for it <laughs> within those like five weeks um, because I still retained a lot of the things that I knew during the summer. So I didn't feel like I needed to study another three months to retake it. So I thought a good month, a good about five weeks would be uh, sufficient for me. And I retook it second week of winter quarter. So around like January 16th. Um, in terms of clinical experience, um, anything, clinical experience is basically, basically considered to be a patient interaction, something that is seeing patients or working with patients just as, um, 
someone asked the question, even bringing a towel to patients or serving food to patients, that I would say is clinical experience because you are in, like you are working within the environment. You are, you know, seeing everything. You're involved with patients, seeing how the hospital works, seeing the medical, di the, the dynamic in the hospital, everything. So I think clinical experience is just working with the patient, seeing patients as well, even if you're just like um, Camille, like writing stuff on a whiteboard, because that is clinical experience. You don't have to be administering an IV or uh, uh, prescribing medicine. <laughs> um, in terms of um, scribing, uh, so this is where everyone has their own journey. And if you decide to take a, a gap year, I would recommend scribing during the gap year. You do not have to have a paid clinical experience. Um, a lot of people are an EMT, they get certified to be an EMT, they do that during their gap year, or they're a scribe during their gap year, or, or they'll also um, become a certified medical assistant, they'll go to schooling and be a medical assistant, and but that does require, I think, a nine-month program, so it's also depending on what your journey is and how long you want your gap year to be if you want to be a medical assistant as well, um, but you do not have to have paid clinical experience. <laughs> Okay, excellent. So this is going to be our final, our final question of the night. Um, and it's a good question. Um, how do you go about deciding what specific medical schools to apply to? And what do you look for when researching the med school programs? I'm going to start by saying what I think Camille might have said, MSAR is a really good place to start. And then I want to open it up to the panel. How did you go about deciding what medical schools you're interested in? Well, one of the important things to consider is to um, look at their mission statement mm -hmm. and also look at the experiences that you have. So for example, there are some medical schools that require specifically non-volunteering experiences in addition to some clinical experiences, whatever you did, maybe like you worked with kids or something like this. So I would say look at their mission statement, look at um, their requirements, um, the MCAT, GPA, these are all matters. And selecting a specific medical schools is very, very important because you wanna make sure that you're applying to the schools that are right for you. There's like competition or like different requirements. And it's very important that when you're going through this, because it's a lot, it, it's a long process. So you need to write secondaries. Um, you also need to uh, pay for the secondaries. You also need to make sure that you have a strong personal statement. So all of these are important to consider. And it's very important to really look at and research the medical schools that you're applying to, because um, you wanna make sure that you're applying to the schools that are right for you. I don't know if that answers that question. I think that's an excellent answer. Um, another plug, uh, we have Case Western, and this is for the panelists as well, if you're interested, Case Western Reserve University um, in admissions officer will be coming, um, I believe it's on Wednesday. We have a full, you'll be seeing folks that are going to these sessions, you'll be seeing me a lot. I'm, I'm uh, chairing all of these sessions, but we do have an admissions officer. He'll be speaking about medical school admissions in general and he will be speaking about Case Western Reserve University in particular. Um, so I really encourage everybody to, um, to sign up. 
So on that note, I Carol, if yes. you don't mind, I just Please. wanted to add something. I just remembered. So um, medical schools, they did it last year too. MD programs, uh, they did it last year and they also have it this year too. They have this virtual medical first. I believe this year it's on April 22nd. If you go to the MSAR and the AMC website or just Google uh, medical school virtual fair, you can find it, you can sign up for it. And it's a great opportunity to, um, you know, chat with um, schools, different schools, their admission directors and even medical students. I also heard like there were some um, opportunities for medical, uh, for pre-meds to, um, interact with medical students and they even got interview invites. So this is a great opportunity to learn about the schools and interact with them also. That is fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing that information. Of course, you're going to be attending UCI's Division of Career Pathways, our health professions fairs that we're having because this is an opportunity for you to interact with um, admissions officers that are looking for UCI talent. So start with UCI, and then you can bridge out. And Camille, that, that's um, phenomenal. Thank you so much. Um, I just want to express my gratitude to our panelists, uh, Tahira, Camille, Grace. Um, thank you for your thoughtful answers. Thank you for um, your dedication to the profession by, by coming and sharing with other students and um, looking towards other people's growth as well. Um, and thank you for your candor and your honesty. Um, this was just a really tremendously helpful session. I know that I learned a lot and I know UCI students, our anteaters learned a tremendous amount and um, really indebted to, to all of you. Um, I did wanna mention that tomorrow night, uh, same time, six o'clock, we're doing the research piece. Um, so if you're thinking about how am I gonna get research, um, we will have a panel tomorrow night as well. So I want to wish everybody um, a wonderful evening. And I, again, want to express my gratitude um, to our wonderful panelists. And uh, please do utilize uh, DCP services. We're, we're here to support and help you um, through your professional school journey.